This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with Joseph Scrimshaw on Feral Audio. I am your host. I am still Joseph Scrimshaw. This week's episode is full of whimsy, pathos, big philosophical ideas, and of course, lots of uses of the word but. Because today's episode is all about comedy with professional comedy writer Josh A. Kagan. As always, you also hear our co-producer Sarah Meyer interviewing random human beings around Los Angeles and seeing how they feel about comedy. Do they have a favorite joke? Will they say it out loud? Will it be horrific? Can they laugh on command? Are they like me? Do they sometimes laugh when they see strangers fall down? Or are they not monsters? We will find out. But before we dive deep into the personal comedy circus that lives inside Josh A. Kagan's head, I want to tell you about our portal. You can support all of the artists here on the Feral Audio Podcast Collective by shopping at Amazon through our portal. Just go to feralaudio.com, click the Support Our Artists button, and go buy anything on Amazon, and some of the money will go to supporting Feral Audio. In celebration of comedy, this is the Amazon product I'm recommending, the Loftus Rubber Chicken. Now, let's take a step back. I have a long and sordid history with rubber chickens. In one of the very first sketch comedy shows I did, I was playing a weirdo character, and I decided this weirdo character's fingers absolutely had to be covered in bandages. You know, to be weird. At another point in the sketch, I was supposed to throw someone a rubber chicken. I picked up the chicken, and I threw it with all of my might, and it went nowhere. The chicken's neck was stuck to all of the band-aids I had placed on my weird little hand. It was ridiculous and a little disturbing. Which is frankly exactly how I like my comedy. I like rubber chickens because they're big and loud and absurd. And I love big, loud, absurd comedy if there's a little bit of darkness underneath it. The best comedy to me is like the happy birthday song sung in a minor chord. Fun but wrong. So keeping that in mind, let's take a quick look at this particular rubber chicken. There are many things that I like about it. It's large, bright yellow with hints of flaming, almost violent red. Its little beak mouth thing is open wide in shock as though it just learned Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father for the first time. The package also claims that this rubber chicken is realistic. What the fuck does that mean? It's obviously not realistic as a chicken. So are they claiming this rubber chicken looks realistically like what it is? A rubber chicken? That is some deep philosophical bullshit right there. There's also a note from Amazon that reads, in stock, but may require an extra one to two days to process. Now, I like to assume that they don't mean they need extra time to prepare the order, but rather, the people in the warehouse need an extra one to two days to emotionally process why the hell someone needs or wants a rubber chicken. As always, no close examination of an Amazon product would be complete without checking out some of the negative reviews. Here are two of my favorites. Terrible purchase. Really hard plastic. Not rubbery at all, as stated in the item description. Get your rubber chicken elsewhere and give this one a pass. Harsh stuff. Another review simply stated, Does not scream. Repeat does not scream. Now, sadly, having purchased one of these chickens in the past, I have to agree with both of these critiques. The rubber chicken does not audibly scream. That is my new favorite sentence, by the way. The rubber chicken does not audibly scream. 
But the first review is also correct. This is not a rubber chicken. It's a hard plastic chicken. Back in my day, the chickens were rubbery. Depending on how you held the chicken, it would flop lifelessly or be humorously erect. You could whack your fellow comedians with it for hours on end and only cause an amusing amount of pain. But times change, comedy changes, and these days, we have rigid, unbending, rock-hard rubber chickens you could beat a heckler to death with. So if you like absurd comedy and don't want to buy a taser for self-protection, I strongly recommend purchasing the Loftus Rubber Chicken. It's very funny, and you could kill someone with it. Real easy. And the chicken won't even scream while you're doing it. But if buying a rock-hard rubber chicken on Amazon isn't your thing, you can also support Obsessed Podcast by becoming a backer on Patreon for as little as one buck a month, and you'll get access to our monthly patron-only bonus episodes of Obsessed. Full info on that is on patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. Shows! I do shows! I've got a couple of stand-up shows coming up in Los Angeles, and the next edition of my comedy game show about pop culture with Hal Lublin, called Head Cannon, that is happening on Friday, August 5th at NerdMelt with these special human guests, Travis McElroy, Clark Wolf, and Mark Ellis. Plus, I'll be a guest at DragonCon convention over Labor Day weekend and more stuff to announce soon. For tickets and full info on all my shows, go to josephscrimshaw.com slash live dash shows. But for now, grab a beverage, perhaps of the adult variety. Put your headphones on your head where they belong. Curl up with your relentlessly rigid rubber chicken and enjoy Josh A. Kagan's obsession with comedy. Obsessed. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with an awesome person, Josh A. Kagan. Hello, Joseph. Thank you for coming and being here. It's, it is a pleasure. And now you have no objection to me describing you as awesome. Is that correct? I, I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> I'm fine. But that's not like a hot take on a guest right. on your show. Yeah. So Unless you said it like in a 70s, like, here's my fi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-yi-y
real horrible things going on in the world. And I felt like doing something that would be fun and about a fun topic with a fun human being. Here we go. So that is why you're here. Let us laugh into the void. <laughs> or cry laugh or whatever happens. <laughs> whatever happens. It's still a podcast. Okay. Uh, so I want to start just by reviewing for people who maybe don't know you, those idiots, uh, who you're, don't know you're you. You're okay. You're okay, people. Joseph oh, has been drinking. Idiots. They're idiots. Listen, get me out of the call 911. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> I love that people would call 911 for a podcast. <laughs> At some indeterminate time in the past, a man was being held against his will to talk about comedy. <laughs> Yes. All right. So, who am I? Yeah. So, well, you're you're you have a personal relationship with comedy, just as like a fan and yeah. somebody who absorbs comedy, but you also create comedy. Yes. Um, I am a screenwriter. Uh, my two uh, produced credits are uh, The Duff, which came out last year, and uh, then Band Slam, which came out in two thousand and nine. Both comedies. Both like kind of more on the John Hughesy side of things. Yeah. Uh, except without the alcoholic racism. Uh, <laughs> probably can't use that. Yeah, a good tagline for the dub. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but uh, I've worked on all manners of things. I worked on uh, uh, the sci-fi channel's The Will Wheaton Project. Yep. Uh, which was my real, like, after years of, like, writing jokes for movies and stuff, that was, like, my first time writing jokes on a deadline for a TV series, which was terrifying. <laughs> I was, my old middle-aged brain was absolutely not ready for that, Jelly. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've worked on a show with uh, Paul and Storm called Learning Town, which was probably the truest representation of my ethos right, as a comedy writer geek, geek and, and sundry, sundry right okay uh in that it was just like kind of batshit crazy um and then other things that got canceled in the first season as well <laughs> a variety of <laughs> so things. yeah so you have some like for real uh, hello hollywood credits yes uh, and then i also know that you do a lot of essay writing and a lot of performance of your essays which are really really funny yeah well thank you yeah i worked for two years with alice lee and her uh, late lamented uh website the yearbook office uh churning out a uh, an essay a week again uh writing to schedule is not exactly one of my strongest points <laughs> and i remember a conversation you and i had uh while this was happening because i was writing those essays as i was working on the will wheaton show and something had to give. And a couple of those essays were just crazy. <laughs> and I think you and I were talking about it. And I was like, I, I felt the need. I spent a good 50 to 70% of my life apologizing. So I think I felt the need to apologize to you because I look up to you as a comedy writer oh. and doer. I was like, hey, this this week's was nuts. And you were like, no, I, I kind of like it when I can actually see you, like, teetering on the edge as you're writing. It was your id on the screen. It was great. It was like the bullshit version that people talk about Jack Kerouac. Just, I'm like, just typing on a roll of paper. But it's like, it was that for real. Did you and ever, it was funny. I, did you ever read on the road? Oh, yeah. I tried, and I'm not as bright as you. And I was <laughs> no. like, boy, this sure does sound like a guy writing on a piece of toilet paper with some beers and a dog. Okay. It sounds to me like a guy who is very pleased with himself rewriting so what he then. originally wrote. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
a white dude. Indeed. Yay! Uh, yeah, so you do so you do all sorts of comedy. Yeah. Uh, and I want to dig into, I think I have a little sense of your ethos and where you come from, but I, I want to share it with the world or see if I'm wrong. Okay. Which I am often wrong. And like go. to apologize too. We're going to have an apologize off. Over the, the last course of this half podcast. hour of this will just be me and Joseph apologizing. No, no, I'm sorry. No. No. Seriously. No. That I thing I sorry. said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that thing. Uh, so. My first question in digging digging into the comedy mind of Josh A. Kagan, do you remember the first thing that you thought was funny, or do you have an early memory of laughing? Yeah, I mean, I it well, my memory ain't what it used to be, but if I had to if I had to guess, it was one of two things. Uh, it's very likely that it was something on television, uh, <laughs> as I my. My kindergarten teacher literally took me aside and read to me uh, the Shel Silverstein poem about the boy who watched so much TV he turned into a television. Oh, so you got a little morality lesson. Yes. Like, yes. you're going to die yes, from you're TV. Going, you're going to turn into a television or <laughs> become a B-minus successful professional writer. One of the two. I talked about television a lot and like in fourth grade, I wrote an I wrote a book report on a paperback novelization of an episode of Welcome Back, Cotter. Okay. Like, so I watch a lot of television, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so here are the two. So it was either something on Sesame Street or more likely The Muppet Show. Okay. Um, it was either. So like the Holy Trinity for me, I feel like is uh, The Muppets and then Warner Brothers cartoons and then a little later in life, Monty Python. Okay. And that's kind of, if you triangulate that, you kind of get the basis of my sense of humor. Um, I will I will say that a thing in real life that I remember making me laugh uh, was uh, my dad, who is not a funny gentleman, um, we would bug him like, hey, take us out, uh, take us out, we want to go out for fast food or something like that. And he'd be like, yeah, absolutely, we're going to go to Broccoli Hut. Broccoli Hut's the best broccoli restaurant in town. They make broccoli <laughs> burgers and broccoli fries and things of that nature. Uh, and we would just be like, ah, ha, ha, dad, no, but tell us again. Like, it was just, it was for him a solid bit. Right. And then, uh, <laughs> then probably uh, on the TV side of things, uh, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, duck season, okay. fire. Okay. Uh, which I, to this day, think is, I believe that's rabbit seasoning. There were three, or a duck, rabbit, duck. There were three in that sort of real wordplay heavy uh, Bugs, Elmer, Daffy uh, cartoons. And one of them took place during winter, and that's the one I can't remember. But rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, duck season, fire. That destroyed me. Every single time <laughs> wrecked me to the point when I uh, was briefly uh, teaching theater for the Boston University uh, uh, summer theater program. I was directing a scene between Gwendolyn and Cecily for importance of being earnest. And I was like, we're going to watch these cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to implant myself on your mind. Yes. Well, I just thought it was like, I thought it was a solid way to kind of communicate to kids who don't necessarily understand things like timing. Right. And Certainly rhythm. Rhythm, one-upsmanship. And yeah. it's a rabbit. So it's just a rabbit <laughs> running around and, and a duck getting shot in the face. And that's what Wild meant. 
Yeah. I think that Wilde, if he had the opportunity, his cartoons would have been incredible. <laughs> he certainly has the same rhythm and patter yeah. uh, of a Warner Brothers cartoon. I want to go back to Broccoli Hut for just a second. Please. So when your dad said, I'm going to take you to Broccoli Hut, which is a great, that's like, that is Bizarro Superman, just opposite of true. Yeah. Just like solid joke. Did he then actually take you to a restaurant? Uh, yeah, I mean, eventually we would just go to, like, McDonald's or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but uh, but it was more funny that we knew it was a thing to not be true, but he was saying it with real commitment to the bit. Okay. Um, so the deadly seriousness of, of course we're going to Broccoli Hut, of course it's real. Yeah, my dad wasn't a funny guy, is the thing. <laughs> but he was dry. Okay. Uh, he, and he underplayed everything, uh, to the point where you couldn't tell sometimes if he was kidding or not. Okay. Um, which is a thing I have heard about myself all of my life, certainly through theater school. Um, did you get this as well? The, you, like, if somebody, if you've been earmarked as a funny person that I feel like people will always say, well, I never know if you're kidding. Yeah. I think sometimes when people think they're interacting with a comedian they expect it to be as big as duck season rabbit season <laughs> i'm gonna you know throw myself around the office and twist my head around and fall right. down or or just be really big and loud and bombastic with the jokes right and if you're very dry people will not understand that you just made a joke yeah i also would peg that i i, I also kind of pegged it to a feeling of like you're funny, I can't trust you. <laughs> so, thus the need to apologize. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry for my dry sense of humor. Okay, so th- so you you appreciate the the rhythmic, the the loud and absurd, but also the dry and the really direct contrast. The hardest my friend Dave Melito ever g- laughed at me when I we were growing up and in high school together was we were talking about like I don't even remember how we got into it, but I say I said you know what the I think we were talking about like how we would like to be seen by other people, and I actually said I'd like to be seen as having like a dry sense of humor, and he just thought that was fucking hysterical <laughs> because literally all I ever did was like shout and be the biggest loudest jerk in the room and i got cast in all of the parts in high school that were like the loud shouting parts i literally played a character called tony lumpkin uh in the restoration comedy she stoops to conquer <laughs> who just runs around and is like ah, i'm drunk <laughs> but but i had this aspiration i don't even and maybe you know what maybe it just came from my dad maybe it came from Wanting to be more than the thing that you've been pegged as and as the thing that you're trying to live up to being because you've been pegged as it. I've always been loud. I've always been broad. I've always... My first job in television was working in animation because that's like... That's sort of like the most natural language for what it is that I do. Right. Josh can shoot this duck in the face. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Got it right on my business card. Um, but uh, but I think I've always, there's always been a little, and I think that, I think part of that come, I, I mean, Python's a perfect example because Python can be very dry. Yes. And it can be Mr. Creosote. Uh, and sometimes from one second to the next, uh, which is mind-blowing 
and I think taught a generation of people that you can do everything in comedy at once. Yeah, I think that's really true of a lot of British humor is that British audiences can accept either or. And in America, I think generally it's either super dry, witty, important comedy with a point. Right. Or it's big, dumb people, their butts on fire, they fall down, waka, 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 (laughs) and never the twain shall meet. Yeah. Uh, Rest rest his soul. Uh, That was, I always thought, the thing with Robin Williams from an acting standpoint, which was either he was like, Blah, I'm Patch Adams, and I'll put a butt thing on my nose, yuck, yuck, yuck. Or it was like him staring at his shoes for an entire movie. And right. Again, never the twain shall meet. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, I think the American scope has broadened over the years, yeah. certainly. Uh, but we still love it when our comedian, like, Jim Carrey in a role that will surprise you as a dying guy or something. Like, uh-huh. we want that. We don't, we want our broad, funny, ridiculous people to be broad, funny, and ridiculous, and we want our serious people to be serious. Yeah. But yeah, I think comedy is at its best when it can have those extremes. Absolutely. And I think that is awesome that, and I have certainly heard you do both. Like, especially in your essay performances where a lot of it will be sort of a big, loud assault of words and ideas, and then there'll be a little drive-by joke that is much more in the sort of uh, the deadpan, dry territory. Uh, And that's, I I think if we're, God God help us, if we're really sitting down and talking about my process, I think, (laughs) honestly, there's another sort of unspoken thing, uh, and that's music. Like, we can, like, my, com- I have plenty of comedy influences, but as far as my writing goes, I would say that the music that I grew up listening to, well, first of all, a fair amount of the comedy that I ingested as a child was in music form. Okay. Because I grew up listening to the Dr. Demento show religiously every Sunday night, which was like always 20% like stand up routines here and there. And then, like, 80% novelty songs. Right. Um, And it's funny. I feel like that after a childhood of listening to that and then being away from it for a very long time, uh, I, and certainly you as well, we both sort of stumbled into this world where there is still comedy music. There's a lot of comedy music. A lot of our friends do comedy music. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is a specific rhythm to it. Yes. Because it's often the joke is on the end of the beat or a rhyme that you don't expect or yeah. yeah. There's exactly exact sort of uh, yeah, the the contrast between the insanity of comedy of all these strange juxtaposing big ideas and then the literal rhythm of the music underneath yeah. holding it all together. So you think that that rhythm has affected your writing? I think it's affected my writing. And certainly, I mean, even if we're talking about uh, Loud, Quiet, Loud, then we're talking about the Pixies, who were not a comedy band at the time, in their schlubby, middle-aged, anything-for-a-buck version now. They're fucking hysterical. <laughs> uh, but I I grew up listening to plenty of just, like, music music that... I, certainly you could look at, like I said, you could look at the Pixies and that is like an A to A comparison with what you were saying about when I do an essay or something like yeah. that. Um, and I think I, I think it all comes back to if we're talking about novelty music or just talking about music music, we are talking about jokes and then a solid 
sensible laid out structure underneath them. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it speaks to you uh, as a writer of comedy of you want the structure to be to to, to support the jokes. It's gotta or it's just jokes. <laughs> um, well, let me ask. I wanted to ask you about this anyway. And this is a, a great segue. What is your favorite form of comedy to deliver the kind of comedy that pleases Josh A. Kagan? So you you don't like just jokes. You want structure. Yeah. Uh, so that would suggest toward narrative comedy but like between say like stand-up or improv or sketch or a movie it's it's not improv i think i i apologize (laughs) to to all of my many friends let me mark the apology board (laughs) we live in los angeles so 90 percent of the people we know are taking classes at ucb as we speak uh yes and uh it's just (laughs) yes but i think there is stuff that I appreciate about improv, but then at the end of the end, my friend Amy Spaulding and I, who you have had on the show, uh, she loves improv, and we will go and Hal as well, Hal Lublin. Where we got into a conversation about this a few months back, where on their side they're like, "Yes, but when it's right, it creates a thing that you are never going to see again, right. and that's magic." And the sort of the wishes and dreams part of me gets that but then the real like logical part of me such as it is is like oh but we want i we want to hear our favorite jokes again and again we want to watch our favorite movies again and again we want to seek out our favorite skin we it it feels like a waste of jokes to just release a thing into the ether. So improv to you is like you go and you have the best ice cream you've ever had, and then you go back and they're like, no, it was just that one night. Never again can you have this ice cream. And yeah. you want to be able to like go back and savor all of the nuance. There's, yeah, I mean, that just that just kind of makes me sound a little piggy more than, well, <laughs> no. can get my ice creams in my mouth. Well, but how I about if we go, what if we go to Broccoli Hut? <laughs> You have the uh, best broccoli. I am. Ever. I am sure there is a uh, hipster dipster uh, ice cream place in L.A. <laughs> as we speak, serving broccoli ice cream. And there is an improv troupe there fighting over the most obnoxious member right well, now. Broccoli ice cream is actually the name of the <laughs> improv troupe playing at okay. the UCB Ninth Space. No, uh, you know what? It would probably I short form like I really love sketch, and I don't write enough of it. You okay. and I have written some together. Yes, we have, and it's been uh, really fun. And you're very, very good at it Angela Weber who you've worked with she's real good at it and that's an art form unto itself but I think that is closest for me like I grew up with Monty Python I started watching I started watching Saturday Night Live in 1984 because that was when I was old enough to stay up late and you Uh, never stopped right no we watch it every week that's our that's our comedy home team. That's a commitment. Okay, so yeah. sketch comedy for sure. Yeah, okay. I really, I, I really love that. I love the be and <laughs> this is not the thing that SNL does per se, <laughs> but I love the idea that you can have a beginning, middle, and end in a five to seven minute thing, and you can actually you can work up characters, and you can you can get all of the lifting you need to do done. Yeah. Um. And I again, I think that comes from SNL, that comes from Python, and again, like that comes from like Sesame Street and Saturday Morning Cartoons, specifically Bugs Bunny. All of this stuff, 
the, you know, it's as, especially with Sesame Street, especially with the Muppets, things can be as short as 30 seconds and then as long as five minutes, maybe. Right. So I think there's something about that that is bo- like great sketch uh, on Saturday Night Live or even like Sesame Street or Warner Brothers is boiled down to me to like the most urgent need or want right. of the character. Like I just watched somebody had posted some old thing from Sesame Street that was just uh, Kermit and Cookie Monster. And Kermit wanted Cookie Monster to guess what was in a box, and Cookie Monster just wanted it to be a cookie. Then it wasn't a cookie. <laughs> then he was a real dick about playing Kermit's stupid game and only getting one cookie out of it. And he was just like, okay, this is great, because there are like three or four ideas in this like three-minute thing, and it was sort of straight person, funny person, yeah. and it was just deep needs. Kermit just needed someone to play this game with him. Cookie Monster just needed a fucking cookie. And that's it. Yeah, that's and it. There's something that, raw and powerful about that. Yeah, that's every acting exercise. That's every ten minute play. That's you know, it's it it's a fascinating form. And I mean, again, I grew up listening to two to three loud ang- two to three minute uh, angry pop songs. And okay. again, so I think it's that. I, or it is also that I just have a devastated attention span, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, the shorter and faster things can be, the the more delighted that I am. Okay. Uh, because it's that feeling that when it's done, it's like, I love the idea of something that comes and goes. This is maybe me contradicting myself about the improv thing. The difference is that you can go back and see it again and again. But something passes by you so quickly that you're just like, I'm laughing and I'm only 40% sure why. Right. What the fuck did I just see? <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a great answer. Um, I'm curious about a different form. I'm curious about stand-up. If a strange mystical force came to your home and said, you have no choice. It's like being visited by the ghosts from uh, uh, Christmas Carol. I'm taking you to a comedy club. You have to do stand-up for 10 minutes. What do you think your stand-up would be about or like? How would you try to get the most joy out of it if somebody just forced you to do stand up you know i would probably i would probably just tell a story well how long do i i have time to prep the the, the malevolent force can like like hang out and watch chopped for an hour while i get my shit together right <laughs> yes i will allow that <laughs> okay well that's kind of you and the dark forces you have access to um yeah i have this i have this essay that i wrote a million years ago about how i nearly uh died in a hotel shower yes um and i think if i sat down with that i could i i could zazz that out to a 10 minute story that could double as a stand-up set if okay. I absolutely had to. <laughs> um, I because I'm not. I mean, you read my tw- people can see my Twitter. Uh, it, like I'm not great with what's in the news today. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. <laughs> that's I'm not great. I'm not great with big issues. Right. Um. I I I am better with. <laughs> This is a thing I've thought about stand-up a lot because I, I I don't go out to stand-up a fair amount unless you or my friends are doing <laughs> it. And I think the biggest problem, person, besides the fact that I spent a summer working at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston, which was like 
literally the worst fucking summer of my life. It was literally called Comedy Stop. Nick's like, Comedy Stop. Like, all comedy will stop when yes. you enter. And we were, that's incredible. Yeah, it was actually a telegraph. <laughs> Nick's doing comedy. Stop. Uh, my buddy Zach and I were hired between. Uh, I like, thought you were going to stop at high. Hi. <laughs> my buddy Zach and I were hired between, I think, junior and senior year of college. Uh, we answered an ad in the paper like, we're looking to do sketch. Uh, and what they were really looking for was uh, people to host uh, their open mic nights uh, and man the phone banks giving away free tickets to people who never entered a contest uh, to come see some comedy. Comedy um, stop. And there were awesome things about it. Uh, like, uh, I got to see Dane Cook before he became super famous. Uh, and he was like a shockingly good dude. Cool. Um, who was like real helpful and real supportive. Uh, I got to see Patrice O'Neill. Oh, cool. Uh, which was wonderful. Got to see Jonathan Katz. Like, that part was great. But then there was the part where I was just hanging out in a comedy club for, like, eight hours, 12 hours a day. And uh, it was a scene that I was not into. Right. I'm not good at the blood sport of comedy, specifically <laughs> stand-up. Yeah. And that was a thing that came back to bite me on the ass when I was working on the Will Wheaton project. The idea that it's like – and by the way – I understand that it like comes from a place of privilege on my part because I don't have to fight anyone to the death to have a career. Right. Um, so, but like being at the comedy club, I was just seeing guys just like fuck each other over for a nickel and an extra minute of stage time. And that was like terrifying. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I come from... I come from sort of I, – I have a lot of, like, ensemble training. And I have right. a lot of, like, working with other people training and a lot of, like, that sort of thing. I think that's theater school. I've never been – I've never been a lone wolf type. Yeah. And I think comedy – it's two things. So I think comedy benefits, like, lone wolf types, although certainly there are exceptions. You play well with others, Joseph, certainly. But I also think that with stand-up, there's a certain amount – of going up in front of an audience and saying, so I figured this stuff out and I'm going to exp not explain it to you. I'm going to tell it like it is. But here's my take on it. Yeah. Because I have taken in this information. I have processed it. And I, here's and now I'm going to show my work. Whereas... I've never figured out a goddamn thing in my life. <laughs> I've never, all of my furniture is missing like eight screws that I just looked at and I was like, ah, it's standing. That's fine. Like I, I am not, I, I, I feel like I'm still like kind of befuddled and bemused by the world. And I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think that's a good stand up POV. I yes, I don't know if I agree with that. I, well, I don't want that to be true. Uh, just it's probably not, Joseph. I'm kind of a dummy. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you apologize for that right now. You're not a dummy. Sorry, King. Uh, yeah. So you're not a dummy. Second beer time. We're gonna open up. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So I don't want that to be true. I think yeah. it is maybe that's a little my, bit. That's my interpretation. And I also have weird esteem issues where I feel like I don't do well on panels either because I don't necessarily love 
being regarded as like, and here's expert Josh Kagan with things that he's going to, that he's going to say, you know? Right. Well, so here, here is, I think a cool idea that's going around in standup. I think it's always been there, but I think it's got a lot of traction right now, which is tell your story, tell your perspective. Right. Uh, And I think especially because of social media, you kind of can't do the go-to jokes because when something happens, we've all done them. So the only way jokes are going to truly be surprising and passionate and interesting is if they're from your perspective. Right. So, like, your shower thing is from your perspective. It is a very, like, uh, and I mean this in a good way, Seinfeldian (laughs) observation. (laughs) I don't always like the, hey, I observed something. But so your, your shower bit is about how you almost died in the shower, but it is specifically because all of the showers and hotels have different hard-to-figure-out setups. Specifically Portland. Specifically Port- <laughs> Portland in particular. I think about this now every time I take a shower at a hotel. It is one of those, you found a truth, you found it from your very specific perspective. Right. And then you, but because it's specifically from your perspective, it it shares this sort of universal passion yeah and i think the specific perspective that's from is the joke that you make about yourself that you're a dummy and you're not a dummy but it is this fun perspective of you feel like a dummy because i should be able to figure out a shower right but you're not actually a dummy those showers are set up to be confusing death traps for all of us (laughs) so yeah, I, 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 and would I only be... and I only almost had to die. I remember that, that one cartoon where Daffy Doug, uh, Daffy Doug, Daffy Doug, <laughs> uh, you dig? Uh, <laughs> Daffy Duck uh, rigs a piano. So when Bugs Bunny hits the last note of those endearing young charms, the piano explodes and Bugs always gets it wrong. And Daffy can't help himself twit that he is runs out and is like no no you dumb buddy it's like this the audience goes fucking bananas and I, this is the first time it's the most applause Daffy's ever gotten in his life and Bugs is like that was amazing Daffy and Daffy now is dressed as a angel because he has died and he is floating up to heaven and he says yeah it's a great trick but i can only do it once (laughs) i've been thinking about i think about that story and i'm like well i guess i have to now put myself in other life or death situations in order to get the jokes uh but i see i see what you're saying i just like i just it's like it's like anything it's like you know knife skills or Handling a gun or driving a tractor trailer or anything that could potentially hurt people. I think it's just best left to the experts. Okay, fair enough, fair (laughs) enough. All I'm saying is, if I were a mystical force or had control over them, I would love to grab you up, take you to a, like, sold-out theater. People are already there. You don't have to compete with anybody and say, you have an hour. An hour now! It's an hour. It's changed to an hour. No, malevolent forces, Scrimshaw! No, it was only ten minutes! I will not apologize. You got your 10 minutes of shower, but then you have all sorts of other stories like that that come from that same perspective. See, that's so cl- Like, I did dr- the dreaded one-man show in college. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. It was called Nightmare of the Oppressor. And <laughs> it was, was it a comedy? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was jokes and jokes and jokes. Uh, it was, uh, but basically the setup was, was that I was, uh, I was put on trial for all of the white man's crimes against humanity. 
Okay, like that's they, their perspective. Like they just decided, like, you, it's you. Talk your way out of it. You specifically. <laughs> yeah, me specifically, Josh Kagan. <laughs> and I did the show, like, in my, I used to wear a night shirt. Like uh, you were like a one-man cultural reparation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I had to basically, I had to defend my position on, you know, why I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> See, um, that is incredibly relatable yeah, and powerful. I, I, I think about that a lot, certainly, because... Uh, at the time, I don't, and certainly as I was like doing the show, the concept of my own privilege, I'm pretty sure never came into it because uh, we hadn't invented privilege in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it had always existed, but it was. But like, then white men invented it, like everything we've invented. We're right? so great at everything. No, but I mean, it was it was me trying to like hash out things without having a vocabulary for it. Right, and now. There is a vocabulary for it. Uh, right. But, uh, and that was like, that was like literally 45 minutes to an hour and then sometimes 90 minutes of me just talking. Um, with, did, did, was, it as, was it scripted and memorized or did you riff a lot? Can you, can you believe such a thing, Joseph? There was actually a time that I was actually able to memorize an hour <laughs> of text. Yes, uh, it was scripted and then there were riffs and we okay. used to uh, my the Zach who was my director uh and a dear lifelong friend we he used to refer to the riff parts as the uh, hello my baby segments <laughs> as in Michigan J Frog yeah you're like hello, okay you do 3 minutes of hello my babies here but then you get back to the fucking text okay um yeah and i did that for a while i it's it feels like one man shows and the idea of doing stand up for me it all feels like a youthful indiscretion. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Like you were just caught in a wild moment of abandon and look, did a 90 minute one person show about I, I experimented, white guilt. I experimented <laughs> with talking in front of people. You know, my mom was very worried. <laughs> okay. Like, so in, in sent, when you, when you perform a lot of the times, it is to read one of your essays that we've been talking about. You are alone on stage with your words, your thoughts, your perspective, but you're reading. So do you just feel like the idea that I'm reading takes away all of those? It's not a youthful discretion because you can't memorize it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, my memory's for shit at this point because I'm a thousand fucking years old. But uh, I, it's, it's never anything that I go out of my way to do. People are kind and invite me to do these things uh but yes there is something about like i have i have a piece of paper i have a music stand i am going to read this there's generally like no riffing it's just it is just like a reading with the occasional arched eyebrow to the audience or something <laughs> um and i enjoy doing it and it's neither fish nor flesh like yeah. to me there's something there's like this works and people are fine with it. And I do it every once in a while. There is not a ton, not a ton of like spark to it. Like it's, a, it, it is, it is a recitation. Well, and then, I, then I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you okay, on that. It's fine. Uh, because I think it is representative of some of the things you've been talking about. It is to you. It is, it is an, it's not stand up. It's an idea. It's sketch. Like it's short, it's yeah. compact, but your performance, whether you intend it or not, is very punk rock. 
because well, I appreciate that. You, as a forty-four-year-old man with a gut, it it's is awesome to be referred to as punk rock. It is very safe orthopedic shoes, punk rock. <laughs> oh, it's no, it's it's those new chucks uh, that have <laughs> yes. like better arch support, support. in them. I've never felt more punk than when I got my new chucks, <laughs> and my wife was like, "Do you want the orthopedic?" I was like, "Nah, I can take it." <laughs> <laughs> Born to be. How are they? are they? Did you get a new? Pair? I didn't get. I didn't get the orthopedic ones. I have oh, the old ones. They're great. just yeah. They're just a little brighter than my older ones. Just That's a all. Board strapped to my feet. <laughs> Punishment. <laughs> Something I can apologize for. No, but you, your performance style is percussive. Yes. Is you have you. I'll you, come to that. You write a lot of words. And you deliver a lot of words. I and do. as I've been seeing you do this, you've been getting even better at, as we talk about, the rhythm of it, of translating from the page to the stage of, I know here's when to be like, I'm going to be percussive for this amount of lines, and then I'm going to take a breath and let people breathe, and then I'm back in hammering away like a Pogue song. And I think that's... My teeth are slightly better. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's why on my end of things, I feel like... It doesn't necessarily, it's a fun thing to do, but just hearing you describe it, and that is, it is an important part of performing, it sounds, it's, it's math. It's, it's a calculated, like, figuring out the rhythm, figuring out when to be loud, figuring out when to be quiet. There's something, there's something very mathy about that. Yeah. That I think is not what I picture to be. A great performance, really? I mean, because I think it's it's structure. It's like you're talking about. It's, yeah. I mean, math yeah. is structure in a way. It's says my two beers. There's <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I look at. I just. I know what great stand-up comedy is, and I know what great performance is, and I think I do okay. Yeah, I, I think, think you do great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's I'm, kind of. It. I'm done trying to get mystical forces to force you to do stand-up. I'm going to ask you one and other... And that's the thing. That's the other thing. If nothing else, it's like, you know what this world needs? Another middle-aged white guy with a microphone telling people what's what. Man, I know you've heard everybody else's perspectives on shit, but check out mine. I'm a 44-year-old white guy. This is what we all wanted to hear, right? Where'd everybody go? Yeah, exactly. And you're already singing. It's in your, it's in your blood. I'm going to ask you one more question here in our, in our main segment, and it is kind of a cruel question. Oh, I can't wait. Unlike the very nice questions. I know how much The Muppets and The Muppet Show means to you. Makes sense with everything we've talked about oh, with sketches, yeah. rhythm, Love it. the big and the small. Who is the funniest Muppet and why? Josh Kagan is drinking his beer contemplatively. It's Gonzo. It's Gonzo. It, it's Gonzo. It's Gonzo because uh, I don't think Gonzo knows that he's funny. Right. He's just going through his Gonzo life. Yeah. Yeah. He's... It's force of nature stuff. It's yeah. what makes it what's it's what makes McKinnon so good in Ghostbusters. It's what made uh it's what made Harpo so great. Uh it's what made Wacko from uh, from the Animaniacs so great. I think it's totally lost on a lot of modern audiences, but it's what people responded to back in the day of Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Of no one had ever gone that nuts. Yeah. Um and they have performers like that have their own code of ethics they have their no they do they do and i think and like all gonzo wants to do is just be gonzo and like fozzy wants to be funny and he's not 
Right. And that is pathos. And, we, and you know, like, I, it's been documented by both myself and literally every motherfucker I've ever met <laughs> that in my heart, my, you know, my Patronus is Fonzie Bear. Okay. Like, I, there's a... There's a, a, a Many direct lines that can kind of, but there, but he is always Fozzie's a heartbreaker more than yeah. anything else because all he wants is to be funny and to have friends, and he never quite gets it. And Ms. Piggy wants to be a star, and Kermit just wants to hold the team together. But if we're talking about all of like the classic Muppets, um. Yeah, it's it's got to be Gonzo because Gonzo it's like the it's like the Dow he just is. Yeah. It's just him and he What's that line from the Muppet movie? Uh, you know, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to India and become a star. And somebody's like, "Don't you you mean Hollywood?" And he's like, "Yeah, if you want to do it the easy way." <laughs> now, by the way, and I'm sure this must exist online. Somebody must have followed the timeline where Gonzo becomes a Bollywood star. Because <laughs> that would be fucking amazing. Absolutely. So you feel like he is the true, the the most funny to you Muppet because he is just himself and there is a power in just wanting what you want and having that be slightly off from the reality yeah. of the rest of the world around you. You know this stuff better than I do, but I feel like my, my perfect comedy archetype is chaotic good. Right. From Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. So a, a, an ultimately positive message, but just a shit ton of bizarre pants flying fire chickens in the air weirdness all are circling this good human core. Let no man write my epitaph. <laughs> do you like comedy? I do. What kind of comedy do you like? The funny one. <laughs> <laughs> do you like comedy? Absolutely. Why do you think it's important to laugh? Uh, endorphins, happier, yeah. makes uh, life easier. Yeah. Oh, it, it's really important to laugh because uh, well, laughter sets up a, uh, a certain type of vibration within your, you know, within your body. And, you know, all your organs and everything responds to that vibration. Who makes you laugh the most in your life? My sister. Yeah, what does she do? Uh, she gets angry really, really easily. <laughs> what does she do when she gets mad, though? Uh, she just starts screaming, like... But then you laugh at her? Yeah, and she gets angrier. <laughs> she tells me, like, oh, this is not a joke. Why are you laughing? You just keep laughing. Who's somebody in your life that makes you laugh? My wife. Yeah, she's she's funny, but like she don't think she's funny. She she just Aww. makes me laugh. So, cute. so yeah, I think she's hilarious. So we're from New York, and uh, this is we're actually celebrating our honeymoon. We're here in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and my wife is upset that I'm trying to catch Pokemon <laughs> while we're walking down uh, <laughs> the beach side. But uh, like 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 I was trying to explain to her. Uh, I caught Pikachu this morning, which for me, it was like the highlight of my day, and she got upset at that. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. Why are you upset about that? Pokemon is the highlight of the honeymoon. She knows what I mean. <laughs> Do you have a favorite joke? Go ahead, whenever you're ready. Okay, so the guy walks into this bar, and he sits down, and he orders a drink. And he starts drinking, and every time he takes a sip, he opens his coat pocket and pours a little bit inside. 
And so he does this, and after a while he gets fallen out drunk. And he stands up on the bar. He says, I can whoop any man in this bar. And this little drunk mouse pops out of his pocket and goes, and that goes for your cat too. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. Sure. Do you think about comedy every day? Yeah. Right. How could you not? Yeah. Even if you weren't writing it, you would be like puttering around in your mind. It also helps that the world is ridiculous. <laughs> like, as my as my friend Nadia Osman, uh, probably one of my favorite people on Twitter right now, says the world is literally in a toilet on fire. <laughs> and you got one of two choices. You can fucking hide under your bed or you can just go, ah, we're all fucked. Um, but yes, there there is not a day that I don't go by that I don't look at something and go like, what's the ridiculous version of that? Okay, it's already ridiculous. Right. What's my version of the ridiculous version of that. Yeah, so... Yeah. And when you have a joke on Twitter that, like, connects when something rough is happening in the world... Right. Do you feel like you're, like, urinating on that toilet fire a little bit? Like, helping to put it out a little bit? Or... I, when thing when things get... This is not, unfortunately, going to be a funny answer, but when... That's th- I find my... When things get really, really bad, I find myself retweeting people smarter and more right on than me. I, it depends on, I guess it depends on what the particular condition of toilet on fire. <laughs> Which toilet is on fire <laughs> yeah, today? Yeah, exactly. Which toilet <laughs> is on fire? Uh, there's so much in the world right now that's just like, oh, this is very difficult. Right. <laughs> this is very, which I, which I then must like throw back to you because you are. Uh, in your Twitter persona, I mean, certainly there is like there's the Star Wars and the whatnot, but you are <laughs> you are a current events joke man. Yeah, I prefer being able to make a joke about what's going on right now. Right, but you care about what's going on in the world, and you have a very active sense of social justice and things of that nature. And uh, you, is it? So I'll I'll actually put the question back <laughs> to you because you do it more than I do. Do you feel like? You are helping the situation, hurting the situation. Do you know what I mean? Is this a I, weird question? Yeah, no, no. I I try to never tweet if I think that it is just piling on to pile on. Right. I will try to tweet if I think that I have a joke that is fresh enough that it will give some people like some catharsis because I think jokes where people can see something in a new light releases yeah. that pressure valve and makes you able to laugh at the horrible thing. Uh, also there, there's sometimes where there are things where I feel like I should say something. I should add my voice just like, uh, to be counted to like right. have the most people speaking in support of or against of an, an idea as possible. Yeah. And then I'm just sort of obsessive because, so I, and I think this is actually a negative thing. Probably. I don't like to just tweet like I support so-and-so, which is kind of an asshole thing. Cause I should right. just every once in a while just say, I support so-and-so. But I, comedy is important enough to me, like it's like a language, and I just right. feel like I I want to try to find a way to say what I mean and say it in comedy and say it in a way that's clear that can't be misinterpreted. Right. So sometimes I don't just say I just don't say anything or retweet people. Yeah. Because I can't 
Nope, find the right way to say it. Because that is that is like that's a razor's edge to dance on. Yeah. And frankly, I don't have that kind of nimbility. Yeah. <laughs> but you said nimbility <laughs> after sure, two beers. I sure did. All right. Next question. Hit me. Uh, have you ever had a dream about comedy, performing or writing or creating a good dream or a stress dream? Um. You're gonna have to. You have to give your old buddy Josh a second here. <laughs> I don't generally remember my dreams. I feel confident that I had within like the last five years an SNL dream where I was like kind of like in the video village and like doing it. Oh, okay. Like Like you were a part of the production team? Like I think I was, I think, yeah, no, I was in, I was like, no, I was like one of the writers around a monitor, like, all right, how are we going to get this joke fixed? Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. So I have, I have that, there is an entirely different life path that I very occasionally think of that's like, maybe if I had stuck, I'm sure as a professional stand-up Joseph, you hear this an awful lot. Uh, but there's part of me that's like, well, maybe if I had stuck with stand-up and honed it, I could have gotten to a point where I could have done an SNL or something like right. that. That's real That's real drunk butt talk. Okay. I feel like, though. Like, not right now, but right. just in general. Like, I tell you, if I just caught that one <laughs> fish, I would have been a bass master. You know, or <laughs> what the yeah. fuck ever. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand that. But, uh, but like, when I was growing up, SNL was, like, the closest. That, that was, like, the circus. That right. was, like, I'm going to run away. I'm going to join the circus. Right. I literally ran away from home when I was in high school with the idea that I could just, like, walk into SNL. And be like, hello, hey, I have the comedy. I Would you it. like some? I've got yeah. some comedies for you. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, that's that, I, I, I definitely had So that. you've had literal night dreams. And, like, many people you've had. I think almost anybody who loves comedy in, in our era of yeah. existence has had the but what if snl yeah because it has it's so formative for all of us but what's funny is i did uh i did will show a couple summers ago and like halfway through i was like i would have died i would have been <laughs> eaten alive oh jesus this is terrible ah! Ah! yeah yeah like tina facebook in particular bossy pants is like the intelligence and the efficiency needed to <laughs> thrive in that environment like got it yeah, especially if there's no cocaine. <laughs> especially if there's no them like, cocaine, them sweet cocaine days is gone. Them sweet, but that's you look at the old SNL and it's like, oh my god, how did they do? Oh, they were on drugs. <laughs> they were on drugs literally constantly. All right, my next question: Would you confirm or reject a Supreme Court justice nominee based on their opinion of a comedy show that you disagreed with? If they were like the, if there was a Supreme Court justice and they're like, Muppet shows sucked. Would you say that person should not be on the Supreme Court? Uh, no, no, I, I would have, I'd have to hear more of their platform. I feel like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like if, <laughs> if they were like, I do not care for the Muppet Show, but I'm cool with women having dominion over their own bodies. I'd be like, eh, fuck the Fair Muppet enough. Show. <laughs> okay, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you, uh, maybe, maybe you're a uh, like a DC Follies kind of person. Maybe you like those Sid and Marty Croft puppets. That <laughs> you'd be okay with that. You'd yeah. say, well. We have to take some compromises somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, would you get a comedy-related tattoo? 
No. 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 <laughs> Wait. Why, why so? Okay. Wait. Well, <laughs> I don't have any tattoos. Right. Because I am, I am basically a, I am a hair clog built around a meatloaf. <laughs> Like there is there is very little exposed flesh on my body that that would that is that is tattoo ready. Okay. Um so I mean but that's just like a practical thing. But but we're talking define comedy tattoo. Like I'm gonna get like Stephen Wright on my butt or <laughs> no, like if your back was silky smooth like a baby's bottom, would you get a, <laughs> okay. would you get a big old gonzo on your back? No, but I could, but, but I could, I could see myself getting a Gonzo tattoo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that would not be my first choice for a tattoo. Um, You'd probably go music? No, actually, and I've talked to her about this. Uh, Molly Lewis, uh, whom I have a podcast with, uh, we'll plug that at the end of the show, but she, <laughs> but uh, who we've all worked with and who is. Uh, possibly the smartest and funniest person I've ever met. Does the theme song for this very podcast. Yes. She's incredible. Um, she draws, in addition to her a bajillion other talents, <laughs> she's actually a really scratch cartoonist. Yeah. Uh, and she is the only person I have encountered who has really captured the spirit of my dog, Banjo oh, Lewis yeah. Kagan. Um, and I think uh, when he goes... 45 years from now, um, dogs live to be about 50. That's something that I have taught myself to believe. Uh, I would I would absolutely get a tattoo of a Molly Lewis drawing of Bancho, which I guess in its own way is comedy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but that, yes. So, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, kind of a, a cartoon figure, but yeah. also, you know. Rooted in real life because yes. Banjo is a real dog. He is, as far as I know, real. The most awesome dog. He might be a little tiny alien in a dog suit that fucking is... with all of us because he's an amazing dog. Like, too suspiciously amazing. He's very dry. <laughs> you want to yes. talk about a dry sense of humor? It's that guy. Yeah, I know. I mean, he. I, I, one of my favorite selfies I've ever taken is with your dog, Banjo. Oh, when you're running for president? Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, this dog, just real friendly dog, come kind of sat in my lap. Took a couple photos and I was like, what if I just kind of stare off into the horizon like I was going to be president? And then I took the photo and then I looked at the photo and I was like, holy shit, the dog just matched my look exactly. He's 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 amazing. He's got incredible timing and he has that same feature. By the way, I can't believe that we've gone through this whole thing and not said Mystery Science Theater once. (laughs) Let's rectify that. Um, He has the perfect, besides... uh, Besides, like, Buster Keaton <laughs> and Tom Servo, my dog, I think, has one of the best uh, deadpan stares imaginable. Absolutely. And Tom Servo gets on that list because he doesn't have a face. <laughs> yeah, but Banjo's um, up there. Yeah. For sure. Uh, next question. If a friend told you, hey, I just don't like comedy, would you still hang out with them? I mean, first of all... What is that? Yeah, I know. What does that mean? What does that right? mean, Joseph? Like, what is like if they were like, oh, I don't. If they, I don't, if like, they came to you and they're just like, I, I don't really like comedy movies. I don't like dramas. I don't really watch Saturday Night Live. I, I don't. I don't really I like mean, cartoons. And it just slowly whittled down, and you had this sudden horrible realization. 
They don't absorb any comedy. Are they themselves funny? No. Well, then probably not. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm I, Kayla and I. That that's my wife. Uh, Kayla and I uh, talk about this a lot. How lucky we are that everyone we know is literally fucking drop dead hysterical. Like uh, in our close group of friends, there's there's just not a dud in the bunch. No. Um, so it would be a weird series of circumstances that would lead me to being friends with somebody who's just like. I just, I, this is what I enjoy. I enjoy the television show House. <laughs> Although I think he gets a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> and then every night I drink slurry. <laughs> All right. So you can't imagine a situation where you would be in such a friendship. And if you did, you would quietly and politely back out. Am I putting too many words in your mouth? If they're, if they're a good person, it's a weird thing. It like, is. I, you know, I. <laughs> I should just change the name of this podcast to Weird Questions with Joseph Scrimshaw. This is Scrimshaw. not a question. Um, I mean, yeah, but then we get into like, are they a good person? Do we morally line up? Blah, blah, yeah. Blah. But if they're, I mean, I, yeah, I remember uh, a cousin of mine and I were driving back from some kind of family engagement. And I remember cracking a joke about something and they just stared at me <laughs> and they were like, why did you say it like that? I was like, oh, because, and by the way, it just might not have been a very good joke. Right. I'm really good at telling not very good jokes. But it was something like, it was like, you know, my voice kind of went up and and, and they were just like, wait, why'd you say it like that? I was like, oh, because I kind of thought it was funny. And so I was just putting a little zazz. On it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, okay, well, all right. <laughs> oh, oh, you may have never heard a joke before. And in that moment, if you could have hit a button and ejected them from a car. A hundred percent. Yes. No. Okay. Yeah. That answers my question. Final question. Mm -hmm. I think you've answered this before. It's a weirdo. Uh, it's a real weirdo. So am I. If you couldn't write comedy without you or someone you love first being punched in the crotch, would you still write comedy? You love this question. I do. You love this it's question. It's never going away, probably. Um, can I still just be funny on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, yeah. Yeah, fine. I don't want anybody to get punched. I want to get punched in the crotch. I don't want you to get punched in the crotch. <laughs> it's like that. I'm sure people have referred to with this joke, uh, Richard Matheson's button button, right? No. Never? You're the, you're the first? This is a great Twilight Zone episode. Uh, Where they, people get punched in the crotch? Close. Um, there is a couple. They are down on their luck. Uh, they, got, they got almost no money. Guy shows up on their front doorstep uh, with a red button under a glass dome. You push this button, somebody is going to die. Assuredly, somebody right. is going to die. It's not going to be anybody you know. You get a million dollars. And then the rest of the episode is just these two people dithering over whether or not they're going to push the button. <laughs> and then they push the button. And the second that they do, it's just like, hey, what's up? Uh, the guy's there, gives him a million dollars, and uh, takes the button. And they're like, wait, where are you taking it? And he's like, don't worry. The person I'm going to give it to you too it's nobody you know and they realize like oh shit we're not going to die <laughs> so no I, I i i would be fine never writing a joke again i'm confident in sort of the other colors in my palette that like that you or me or banjo or god forbid like my mom or something <laughs> like i don't want it i don't want anybody okay. getting punched in the so crotch no crotch punching you yeah. would stop writing comedy 
and you would become a punk rocker. <laughs> sure. 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 <laughs> Anything to make the weird questions stop. I just don't want anybody to get punched <laughs> in the crotch, Joseph. The, you know what? You are the first one who's just been like, no. The line is drawn here and no farther, no crotch punches. Well, I feel like this, I I mean, it's like you've done other episodes of this show. Like there are other things like, you know, like if you give, wait, how did Kayla answer it? Did she, did you ask? I forget. I did ask her. uh, Most people barter with this question. It's a very Twilight Zone question, which I hadn't thought about before. Most people barter and they make their deals and they find a way to soften it or find a way to be okay with it. I think your wife found a way to be okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Josh? Yeah. I don't think it was Josh. I'm never that nasty of like, specifically, your husband. I never do that. Yeah. Never that awful. All right. uh, So can you make a noise to sum up your obsession? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is a great dry deadpan laugh of like eh, uh, uh, yeah. i'm quietly entertained inside myself i'll revisit this that's great um i've been rating people's obsession since you've last been on the podcast okay now i think uh so i give the number of seven and then i try to give it a a, a flavorful description so i'll say shtick so shtick. out of seven shtick i think you are Six out of seven shtick. Oh, that's, obsessed that's with kind, comedy. That's kind of you. Now, why do you think that's kind? Um, I I don't think I've ever committed uh, to anything enough <laughs> in my life to be rated a X out of X. But uh, but but I also feel like a, that's a, I feel like a six. That's like a solid. I feel like that's like a solid B plus obsessed. Yeah, I'd say yeah, I'd yeah. say B plus A minus. I think yeah. it is. It is so much a part of who you are but you still have like boundaries and stops yeah and there's also there's also stuff that i can still kind of try to muddle through and figure out yeah which is good absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. you don't yeah. have it all figured out uh can you uh plug yourself can you tell people where they can find you on social media and I'm any upset. other stuff i'm uh i'm at josh a kagan on twitter and instagram um and uh i i believe the yearbook office yearbookoffice.com that never got taken down no it's still so, up so it's still up and you can read my stuff and a lot of other great joseph uh you contributed to yeah. that as well and like everything you do it's real funny oh, thank you. uh and uh you can find uh until <laughs> until felicia goes after the servers with an axe uh you can still find uh learning down on geek and sundry um you can find uh the web series john davis gets a six robot uh on youtube as well and, uh, oh, and then my most current kind of like fun project. Uh, well, of course, the Duff and Band Slam are both right. on iTunes. And then uh, Molly Lewis and I, who we've both spoken glowingly of this past however long we've been talking, her and I have a podcast called The Peanuts Gallery, uh, which we'll absolutely have to have you on oh, at I some love point, that. Joseph. Uh, and uh, what we're doing is we are discussing every Charlie Brown special chronologically and there are so many of them when you yeah. started this i looked it up on wikipedia jesus christ there are oh, so yeah, many yeah, yeah. this is it's a it's an it's an odd goal uh but the good news is is that sometime this summer uh we're going to do a summer special uh where we are tackling uh a boy named charlie brown the first peanuts movie uh and uh it's us and special guest stars ali gertz oh yay who's 
fucking hysterical. She's great. She is great. Um, and that's it. That's all the things that I do. <laughs> awesome. So here are the final questions. They don't have anything to do with the main topic, but they can if you want. Great. More weird questions. Yeah. If your life was a video game, what would the goal be? Um, what would the player be trying to accomplish in Josh A. Kagan colon the video game? Is there a video game where you're just not trying to hurt anybody? <laughs> there is now. <laughs> yeah. If there's a video game where I could just like sort of stay out of people's way. Right. Not bump into anything. Make yeah. sure that a toilet is never on fire. Ah, yes, exactly. Just keep it all contained. All right. Cool. That's a great answer. Just avoid avoid all obstacles. <laughs> yeah. Make sure everybody's happy. Yeah. Nice. Nice. If you could shoot one of these two things out of your hands, which would you choose? Lightning? Or soup. Oh, I love soup, Joseph. <laughs> like I really love soup. It's so great. Um What is the temptation uh when it comes to lightning? Oh, I mean having dominion over who lives and who dies. <laughs> that sounds like fun. <laughs> you know, infinite power and things of that nature. <laughs> this is pretty good. But is it different kinds of soup? Or would it have to be and soup? No, I think you can choose multiple kinds of soup. Yeah, it's soup then. It's Joseph. soup then. It's yeah. totally soup, it's right? It's totally soup. If you were if I told you you have this power, what's the first kind of soup you would eject from your hand? Split pea. <laughs> Shit's great. Every Wednesday at Cantor's, get some. They only got it one day a week. And it is great soup. I would love split pea soup, bro. It's I the best. You have endured many stupid questions. <laughs> Without answering one like I'm an idiot. And the first one was like, pea soup, you moron. You dick. <laughs> Love you it. idiot. It of course it's pea soup. Boring old man soup on the planet. And I love it. Love it. Love that split pea, right. Joe. So, yeah. this is, <laughs> so this is the final question on the podcast for everyone. What is happiness? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's my wife and my dog. That is I like them a whole lot. A great, straightforward answer. I probably said that the last time during the TJ Hooker episode, too. Yeah, because you did TJ Hooker before. Yeah, so and TJ Hooker. If I can put words in your mouth, <laughs> happiness is your wife, your dog, TJ Hooker, Gonzo? And pea soup. And pea soup. Boom. Thank you very much. You're that welcome. is our podcast. <laughs> You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Hi, I'm Josh Kagan. This is my favorite thing from Mystery Science Theater 3000. They laughed when I accused my parents and I killed them. Let's see if they are laughing now.